listeners, welcome to a new episode of the Blue Radio. Today, we will be hearing Pam's story. Pam was groomed and then sexually abused by her best friend's father. I have not defined grooming in my previous episode, so I will define it now. Grooming is an abusive behavior in which the perpetrator first gains the trust of the victim, then tries to desensitize and normalize the behaviors that they're doing with the victim to even get them to agree with it and consent to it. For instance, if we uh, take what happened to Pam, Uh, Her best friend's father first gained the trust of Pam by uh, giving her compliments, by being nice to her, and then uh, exposed her to the sexual topics and normalized the behavior that uh, he was having with her and the amount of time he was spending with her and the nature of their relationship. So uh, it instilled a lot of conflict uh, in her. So without further ado, Let's listen to Pam's story. It began when I was 13 years old. I had met a new friend through a mutual neighborhood friend that I already had. After we met, me and this new friend of mine instantly became inseparable. I was at her house almost every day. I am the youngest of six kids in my family, and I also have a twin sister. My mom was a stay-at-home mother, and my dad worked a lot to provide for the family. I began to spend a lot of time at my new friend's house, and my parents didn't think anything of it. My parents were very trustworthy people who believed and saw the good in everybody. My new friend's house was a very different place house than mine. Her dad was home all the time, and her mom worked full-time. And my friend only had one older brother. They had a swimming pool in their yard. And they got to go out to eat at restaurants a lot. They went on family vacations. They got to do a lot of things that my family couldn't do. I loved it over there. My friend's family was fun. And everybody especially loved her dad. Adults included. He was friendly and outgoing. He was funny and just a likable person. His family and friends used to joke about him having the gift of gab or not telling you if your coat was on fire. Both things were true. He could and would talk to everybody, and he did keep a lot of secrets. I guess my friend's dad started to groom me shortly after we met. I began to almost be like their third child. I was included in everything they did. I can't really recall a time when he didn't make me feel special. From the moment I met him, he was just really nice to me. He paid a lot of attention to me. He was always looking at me and smiling. I could see him from across the room, staring at me. He would include me in conversations. He would drive me and my friends places if we wanted to go anywhere. He'd give us money for things. And he was always willing to give me a ride home at night. It was on these drives drive home where he would continue with the compliments and now I can see he was testing the boundaries with me he was seeing just how much he could trust me to keep quiet when we were with other people he would pull me aside from them and quietly compliment me he would tell me how mature I was for my age and that I was pretty 
and I was different than all the other girls, just things like that. Then he began to tell me how much he enjoyed my company. He told me he wanted me to go over to his house when nobody else was home so we could spend more time together. Everything he did and said felt very special to me. I loved all the attention. I come from a big family, and especially with having a twin sister, it made it almost impossible to have anything that was just mine. I shared everything. I really didn't think there was anything wrong with our relationship, as he referred to it. That's what he used to tell me. He told me it was just different and had to stay between us because society wouldn't understand it. He said I was so much more mature than my age and there were laws that were written to protect other kids that weren't as mature from being in a relationship with older people. I believed everything he said, so I didn't want to tell anyone about it and ruin our friendship. The attention I was getting from him was all mine, and it strangely, strangely felt good. It certainly didn't feel right, but it did feel good. I had no idea what was going on, and before anything began to really feel strange to me, I was already in a situation that I didn't know how to get myself out of. When things got sexual, I was so confused. It was humiliating. It was embarrassing. I was terrified. He turned into a different person on me. And I felt like I caused him somehow to do that. I really knew I couldn't tell anyone at this point, And not because I was afraid of ruining our relationship. But because he told me it would ruin my life and my family's life. I began my vow of silence. And for the next 40 years, I never spoke about this day or the next 10 plus years of sexual abuse that I experienced from him. And then to top it off, another 30 plus years of manipulation and control he had over me. He stole my adolescence from me. I really, I didn't have any, any childhood once I hit 13. I struggled all through school. I never had any boyfriends. I only got to do things that he was okay with me doing. I felt like I had to get his permission from him for anything and everything that I did. I was terrified of making him mad. Once the abuse started, I felt very different from my other friends and family. I was forced into lying a lot and sneaking around. I had no choice. I had to pretend like it was just my best friend's father and keep the normal appearing relationship going between us. I knew my situation was very abnormal. A lot of other people also knew it was abnormal. People began to notice the weird connection between us. My friend even told her mother that she thought I had a crush on her father. Her mother went directly to her father and told him what their daughter had said. And his response to her was, that's ridiculous. What would she have 
any interest in an old man like me for. He was 24 years older than me. She must have believed him because she never mentioned it again and she also never asked me anything about it. Many other relatives and friends of theirs also went to her about the weird relationship we had. But again, she always went to him with their suspicions, which only gave him warning about who to be more careful around. One day we were caught red-handed by her. She came home from work early, and we heard keys in the front door. They never locked their door during the day because he was always home. But this day, he had locked it. We were in the house alone, and he wasn't expecting her. She came home, and we could hear her struggling to get in the door. It was terrifying. He ran down cellar, and I ran upstairs. She came in. It was obvious that she had suspected something, and somehow he was able to convince her that she was being ridiculous about thinking anything was going on. And again, she never asked me what I was doing in their house that day. He was also able to talk himself out of several other concerns that people had. Neighbors went to her about the amount of time my car was in their driveway when I did get my license, when nobody else was home, and you know, relatives on vacations commented on the amount of time that we were spending together alone off to the side. But nobody ever followed through with any of their suspicions except mentioning to him, which I think in actuality made him even more confident in what he was doing because he could talk his way out of it. My high school school counselor noticed I was struggling in school. My grades were going down. I was missing a lot of school. I was choosing very easy courses and she was concerned and she sent me to a career counselor to help me try to figure out what my future, what I wanted for my future. At this point, I was living day to day. I didn't care about my future. I didn't even know if I was going to have a future. So seeing the career counselor once a week for a semester went nowhere. I sat in her office with my lips sealed. She never asked me if personally anything was happening in my life, my home life or outside of school life. She just focused on, you know, I can't really help you if you're not going to, you know, help me pick a career and, you know, look into it and see if it could be something you're interested in. So we did nothing. This time of my life was very confusing to me, probably more so than when my abuse first started. All these people thought something odd was happening and nobody ever asked me any questions about it. I was even more confused during these years. Sometimes I felt like I loved him as the person that everyone else knew, not what he was doing to me, but loved him and wanted to see him. And sometimes I was repulsed by him. 
at the same time, I hated even more the person that I was. I felt like I was such an evil person for going along with his deceitfulness. At times, I felt like I wanted to die. His wife also noticed the sadness that had come over me. And one day when the two of us were alone in their living room, she asked me if I had ever thought about hurting myself. She had worked in the mental health field, and um, she said she was concerned because I just didn't seem like I was happy. And I told her I had thought about hurting myself, and she gave me the 800 number to the suicide line and told me I needed to go see my primary care physician. And I told her I would, and that was the end of it. She never asked me what was causing me to feel sad. She never asked me if I went to my doctor. She just, she just let it go. Once you experience childhood sexual abuse, it becomes a part of who you are. So much learning is supposed to happen during your childhood years. When that is taken from you, it follows you into adulthood. You can... And I do relive a lot of the time that I was abused. I deal with nightmares. I get triggered back to certain times in my abuse from many things. Just the life that exists around me. There's so many things in there because it went on for so long that can trigger a memory for me. I deal with anxiety because I never know when these triggers are going to happen. Um, when I do get triggered, it does... Um, it can last a few minutes. It can last a few days. It's just really hard to know, you know, physically it affects you emotionally, mentally, how long it's going to take for your, your body to be able to um, move past that. So it is tough. You deal with a lot of trust issues. You suffer from low self-esteem. Uh, I was taught to take care of myself growing up, and that's a hard thing to to undo. I have a difficult time allowing people into my personal experiences. This creates a very difficult time for myself and for people that love me and want to be included in my journey. Even though I do have a great support system today, it still is difficult for me to totally let people into what I experienced. I am happily married today and have been for 32 years. And I have three wonderful children. Um, they all know about my abuse. They know the person that abused me. This man was able to work his way into my married life. He became friends with my husband. He became like an uncle to my kids. And that was difficult. It was difficult to allow him to still have that control over me, to be able to do that. And... Um, he used them. He used them to be around me. And it wasn't until he died that I could actually share with them the person that he was. My abuser passed away about seven years ago. And at the time, I was still too afraid to have an honest conversation with him about the years of abuse and what it had, what it and he had done to me. He was still convinced that we weren't hurting anyone. He wanted to continue throughout his life. 
a relationship with me. I wasn't interested in that, but he never settled for that. He was always hopeful that someday I would be able to treat my husband the way he treated his wife and be happy being um, in an affair, like he used to call it. And as long as they didn't know, he said it wouldn't hurt them. When he died, I still hadn't shared any of my abuse with anyone, including my husband. His wife is still alive today, and I am contemplating having a conversation with her about my experiences. I just, I don't know if this is going to help me in my healing or if it's going to hurt me and cause, cause me to... My process of healing certainly has been a process, but in the scheme of things, I think it has progressed pretty quickly. If I look back to the person I was 10 years ago, there was no way I could have ever imagined being in the place that I am today. My healing journey actually began shortly before my abuser died. Telling my story to the first person I told was definitely the hardest but I was telling it for a whole different reason than to just share it. I had a really good reason why I needed to tell it, so it wasn't because I just wanted to. I had promised myself years ago that I would tell my story when I thought I would do more good than harm by doing so, and in this situation, that definitely was the case. The person I told convinced me to go see a therapist. This is really where my healing began. Therapy has been a lifesaver for me. I got to develop a trusting relationship with a neutral, safe person who guided me and taught me healthy coping skills and helped me to desensitize a lot of what I feared by talking about it. I discovered that the more I talked, the easier it got. I did a lot of journaling and processing things I hadn't processed. I have a very vivid memory of the abuse I experienced and I was able to work on making sense of how and why I responded to it the way I did. Not only is childhood sexual abuse physical, but it's also mental and emotional as well, especially when it is someone you love and trust that is the one abusing you. I want other survivors to experience some relief in their lives like I have. I want them to know that they are not alone and they didn't cause their abuse to happen. I recommend writing and reading other people's stories. I suggest joining any kinds of groups or private therapy that gives you the opportunity to talk about your experiences. It does get easier. Writing has been a big part of my processing. And I decided that God gave me this amazing memory to be able to help others by sharing what I have experienced. It is a very lonely and terrifying place to be when and after you have been sexually abused. There is so much more involved into why a victim can't just ask for help than most people can understand. I used my desire to help others in my healing and wrote a book, a memoir called But I Am Here to hopefully be able to help victims. 
but I also want to educate society on the signs of a child molester, predator, or abuser in action during the grooming stage before they find and abuse their victims. All the signs are there and very visible if you know what you are looking for. You have to be able to separate the behavior from the person doing the grooming, even if it is someone you love and trust. And if you suspect that something isn't right, then don't just dismiss it until you know that for sure. Go with your gut instincts. They are usually right. Child molesters need to be seen as loving and trustworthy, friendly people. Otherwise, they can't get away with their plans. They groom children for a reason. They want to build trust with their child and make sure the child is going to be able to keep the secret. Children can't be expected to protect themselves from these monsters. They just can't do it. They haven't developed the ability to recognize what is happening to them. I don't really think I could say anything to my childhood self that would have changed anything for me. I was no match for what was happening to me. By the time I would have said something to myself that would have mattered would have been in my teenage years. I would have told myself to look at the person who was telling me he was protecting me. The pers this person was a person who lived two lives and forced me to live two lives with him. He was a liar. He was a sneak. He was a married man who was cheating on his wife. He was a man 24 years older than me that forced me to have sex with him anywhere and everywhere he could as long as we were out of sight. He was my best friend's father. And he was a man who bragged to me about having no conscience. He used to tell me that the reason I was afraid all the time is because I had a conscience and I needed to learn how to not let things bother me. He risked my life and was causing me to sacrifice everything for him. I would tell that teenager to just talk. Even though you are terrified and you're worried that people aren't going to believe you or you're worried that he's going to get mad at you or whatever is scaring you, just talk. It can't be any worse than the terror that you are living with while you are being abused. We have now reached the end of this episode. I am grateful to Pam, first of all, for sharing her story and for elaborating on exactly how uh, the abuse she went through impacted her thoughts, behaviors, and her decisions. Also, I am happy that she talked about how sharing her story and talking about it has helped her. And this was my goal of creating this podcast for the podcast to be a platform for sharing stories and also hearing other people's stories to help with uh, dealing with this trauma and also learning more about childhood abuse and breaking the myths and misconceptions about it so we can be better listeners for survivors and also uh, if this is something that uh, you have undergone yourself to detect it and think about processing it or seeking help. With that, I will end this episode. Thank you for listening.